0: Decidle a mi hijo.
1: Decidle a qué hora murió su padre. Decidle que yo... Ni siquiera sabrá tu nombre. Hola mi amigos, welcome to another episode of Rotten Potatoes, a podcast with four friends reviewing movies that you absolutely should have already seen by this point. You might be thinking, what the heck was that? I don't <laughs> speak Spanish. That doesn't sound like a movie you should have seen. I'm here to tell you that it absolutely is. We're talking about Pan's Labyrinth today. I and really thought you were going to intro an episode of Dora <laughs> when you started.
2: Bienvenidos <laughs> a Rotten Potatoes. Dora
1: the Explorer? Yeah, what other Dora is there? I don't know. I think that that scene was funny without any context because it sounds like the baby's getting shot. (laughs) It sounds even
2: more grim than watching. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You just hear a gunshot and a baby crying.
2: (laughs) And then a bunch of words that most of our listeners won't understand.
0: Yeah, I I also like that in without context, without like visual context, it does feel a little bit like, especially with the music, a little bit like uh, a Mexican soap opera like a Telemundo soap opera, like just the the drama in their voices is just a little over the top.
2: And then we just jump into (laughs) right to the clash. Yeah.
0: Well, what's up, guys? How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. I'm I'm in the middle of well and great. Really? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not feeling great, but I'm feeling better than just well, you know? Well, Like, okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) solid start to the podcast
0: solid start well we are doing our very first foreign language film uh on the pod which is pretty exciting Mm -hmm. as
2: with all foreign language films uh most of my memory is going to be the bottom fifth of the screen for this (laughs) it's just a lot of subtitles and i I feel like i miss a lot because i i don't remember i don't see a lot of the actors for a lot of time because i realize i've just been like tunnel vision on the bottom part of the screen. Most of the movie,
0: I would have thought that you would have gotten, uh, you would be a pro at subtitled movies by this point.
2: I really, I, I can't get, I don't know. I (laughs) I haven't learned, like I've, I've watched a bunch of Hindi movies with my girlfriend and I know like four words. (laughs) How do you have bad, like peripheral vision? No, I don't feel like I do. I just feel like I really need to focus. And then I don't, I don't hear a lot of the words and I don't know. I'm just terrible. Cause like
3: it. I can watch their face and read in my periphery.
2: I don't know. Cause I feel like if I try to do that, then I feel like I'm like, Oh wait, what did they say? I was focused on their face. So maybe I do, but I feel like it's just for these specific cases.
0: Or maybe your screen's too big. Could it be. could be that, that could be, I, I actually love foreign language films. I'm a big fan Uh, I have been for a while, but usually I need to be like in a mood to watch a foreign language film because it is going to require just that much more work. Um, but yeah, I've, I've gotten pretty good at, and I do think that sometimes I actually miss some dialogue, but I'm letting like the, I'm letting the, what's happening on screen, the characters, what I've learned about them so far, their tone, kind of help me understand what's happening versus like focusing just on the dialogue,
1: which I think is like, I don't know, for me at least it's a fun way to. You're like taking the Christopher Nolan approach. <laughs> really? Yeah, Nolan like doesn't even think dialogue's important. In his oh, movies, which is why it. you can only hear, hear like it. half of his movies and yeah. people are like, why can't you make this better? And he's just like, why do you guys care about dialogue? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Are you talking specifically about Tenet? More specifically, <laughs> it's true. Whoa. It's true of Tenet more than any of his other movies, but I feel like it's kind of an issue in a lot of his movies. You know?
0: Did you guys before you jump into this, since I brought up Tenet, Did you guys have trouble understanding what was happening in Tenet? I, I haven't watched it
1: yet. I saw it in a theater, and I I still don't know what happened in that movie because I couldn't understand anything that was happening. I saw it in theater as well, and I understood most of it. I thought it was good Uh, props to you. I had such a hard time. I have to go back and watch that with subtitles, which to be fair, I watch most even English movies with subtitles because I still will miss a good amount. And so uh, I was going to say kind of to your point, Jake, like I, I now watch almost everything with subtitles. So I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it and I like it more because I feel like I catch a lot more of what's happening.
0: Yeah. I don't understand those people. Uh, I have some friends that that you're one of them, but I have a couple other friends that it's like, they always want to watch movies with subtitles. I don't get that. And it's not that, uh, it, for me, what it really is, is it's like, if there is subtitles happening, my eyes are constantly drawn down to it. And it's like, I I don't want that. So if I don't need it, I don't want to have a distraction.
2: And it also, I feel like ruins the delivery of a lot of lines because you know, what is coming before it's said, right? You're like, Oh, well I know what they're about to say anyways.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I can read faster than it can be yeah
2: especially like if there's something like really deliberately timed like um, right my girlfriend watches move everything with subtitles on as well and then we put on a comedy special yesterday and i was like we got to turn these off like we're ruining the punchlines
1: <laughs> yeah that's i mean yeah that i don't watch comedy specials with subtitles that's they were kinda... just already on gotcha. and then i had to go turn them off yeah I, I just like you know I was like i gotta get rid of these
3: yeah for sure but i'm more indifferent they don't bother me and at the same time like if they're there it doesn't like yeah
1: it doesn't bother me either really. So Zach you nominated Pan's Labyrinth Yeah I nominated it. Um, I had seen it once before and my memory of it was liking it um, I mainly nominated it because I do think it is a movie that everyone should see um, I feel like it was pretty like like it was a big deal when it came out and I feel like it still kind of existed. In the like cultural zeitgeist, like people still kind of talk about it and whatnot. And I thought it would just make for like an interesting episode. Like, I think our discussion about it will be really interesting. I have no idea like how Jake and Scott feel about it. So I think that that'll be kind of interesting. Um, but it wasn't this movie that I was just like, that I have this deep love for. Um, I actually wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about it going back to it. And so. It was a little bit of a risky pick, but I, I thought it would be fun to talk about.
0: <clears throat> uh, Jake and Scott, you guys were both uh, late, bloomers. late bloomers to this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I had seen this before. I saw it uh, on, like, when it came out on DVD. I, I, I didn't see this in theaters, um, but I distinctly remember my best friend at the time coming over and, like, spending the night on, like, you know, Friday night or something, and so we went to Redbox. And rented this, and I loved it so much, and I was terrified by the, the pale man. Like I, I, but it wasn't like a horror movie. So like I, I loved it, and uh, it was it was super funny. Uh, or it has been funny. Like every year that Guillermo del Toro comes out with a new movie, I'm always like, oh man, like Guillermo del Toro, like he killed Pan's Labyrinth. And he's just let me down every other movie since Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Like, I hated Shape of Water. Hellboys are super, like pedestrian and awful you didn't love
1: pacific pacific rim.
0: rim like like i remember uh fighting with a friend uh about pacific rim he was like it's gonna be awesome like what are you talking about it's gonna be so great transformers was so good but this is like guillermo del toro doing transformers, transformers was so good <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> he that loved was,
0: transformers that's a hot take in itself they were but when we were kids you know it was it was good and uh, and he was like Guillermo del Toro, <laughs> like disagree. Pan <laughs> <I> elaborate. Disagree. <laughs> sure, uh, not the point. Yeah, neither yeah, here yeah. nor there. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, but Guillermo del Toro did it, and I was like, I bet you my movie ticket and a beer that it's terrible. And five minutes in to Pacific Rim, he was like, okay, where do you want to go get beers? Like, <laughs> uh, by the way, does uh, does Bradley listen to this? I don't know. Shout out to Brad if you're uh if you're if you're out there that, that story's about Brad.
1: I think he's out there. I know it's just is he listening? I know I mean. he has listened to uh the There, there will be blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because he messaged me and told me he was very upset by your, my rating. He yeah. might have given up after that. He might have been I like, hope so.
2: <laughs> I
0: feel like we probably
2: lost quite a few
0: people that. I, <laughs> I would imagine we, so. Yeah, we
3: may have, yeah. I would imagine so. Go back and look at like listenership over that time period.
0: Well, before we uh, get into uh, the the late bloomers, your your initial feedback, we'll do a little bit of just the facts. So this was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it was released uh, January nineteenth, two thousand seven, uh, and the other guys gave this a ninety five percent. IMDb gave it an eight point two, which is pretty high praise from mm-hmm. both of them. Yeah, I mean. The other guys are all over the place. But it's just
2: uh, barely better than face off. <laughs>
0: barely, <laughs> barely better than face off. Uh, this is the highest rated uh, IMDb movie that we've reviewed since the prestige. Mm. Uh, this did uh, 84 million in the box office on a $19 million budget. It's pretty good, which is respectable considering it was a foreign release film. Mm-hmm. Like this was a foreign film that released to an American market. Um, it did win uh, three Academy Awards for production design, uh, cinematography, and makeup, which the makeup in this is uh, exceptional.
2: I have a question about how the Oscars work, because I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I thought that foreign movies couldn't get Oscars. Is it because it had an American release?
0: Uh, it, so it has to have uh, a certain length of time in American theaters, like any movie like okay. has to have a certain i think it's like 8 weeks in in theaters or something like that um and then uh but i think that that applies what you're thinking of applies specifically to best picture okay yeah okay
1: um yeah. By the way, uh, if you hear that noise that's happening, I, I do. We're recording at my apartment right now and um, you can hear my neighbor's washer and dryer. So
0: the best part is I can actually feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm sitting, I can feel the vibration of it.
2: And you know what? You might hear it next week, too. They just have a lot of laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the The joys of apartment living. Yeah. I got asked by uh, my downstairs neighbor to walk more quietly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. And I was like, this is in your own apartment. Yeah. I'm like, this is
2: like, we're living, like we share walls, you know? Like that's just how it works. Like my neighbor upstairs runs on the treadmill that's indoors for some reason every day while I'm working. And never once have I thought, hey, can you stop that? Like it's your house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, But can you just walk a little quieter? (laughs) I don't know how. Stop the, pounding around up there. Got I got big feet. balls for feet. I Ginger. Big feet. <laughs> uh, this was nominated, though, Jake, to your point. Uh, I think it was ineligible for Best Picture. It was nominated for International Feature Film. Okay. Best International Feature. Uh, Best Screenplay and Best Score. But it didn't didn't win those.
3: This was... You said 2007, so it was the same year as No Country
1: and uh, There Will Be Blood. Uh, Yes. The Oscars, so, you know.
0: But it was the off-Oscar season, I think. Got it.
1: Yeah, it came out in 2006, so the year before that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, back when this came out, it made, like, 130 different critics' top 10 lists that year. And, like, Roger Ebert put it on his, like, great movies list, yeah. The critic Steven Schneider, who we've mentioned before, put it on his 1001 Movies You Need to See Before You Die. Um, It was a big deal. I was even reading beforehand um, that this year, 2006, Del Toro's movie got nominated for Oscars. Um, Inuritu's movie, Babel, at the time, got nominated. And then Alfonso Cuaron's movie, uh, I think it was E2... Mamba Tambien or something like that. I think that also got nominated. So all three of them, and they're all friends too. They're kind of nicknamed like the Three Amigos. That was like a big year for like Mexican cinema because all their movies got nominated for Oscars. It was kind of cool.
0: Well, Alfonso Cuaron actually jumped on and EP'd uh, this movie, Pan's Labyrinth. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't
1: realize that. Yeah. Hmm, that's cool. Uh,
0: So he helped finance uh, this movie. Um, So Jake, what do you think, man? Initial take.
2: This was uh, a movie that I was going out of my way to avoid for a long time uh, for no other reason than every poster I see had the pale man on it and it looked gross. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is probably a scary movie, right? And it was not at all what I expected. Uh, and I I thought it was really good. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I really need to watch Pan's Labyrinth again. But I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it, and it was just, I. it took me... It took me a while to accept the fact that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be because literally for years that Pale Man has just been like something that I see and I'm like, why, why is this something that I have to look at like when I'm scrolling <laughs> through
0: Netflix or whatever? Uh, but yeah, no, I liked it a lot. Even the fawn is, is like looks like something out of a horror film. Yeah, he, he really does. And then
2: like getting into the movie as well, one other thing that I think that I guess it, I think it was a translation issue but like pan's labyrinth it made me distrust the fawn a lot and then i got to the end credits and then it was like the labyrinth of the fawn is like the more little translation i was like oh that was also misleading and just a misconception i had for no reason
1: yeah when when this movie came out the studio decided to uh like retitle this movie pan's labyrinth for english english speaking countries because they thought that like we would recognize pan quicker than uh, like a nonspecific fawn and i feel like that's a really misleading translation And even del toro was like against that
2: why didn't they just call it like mr tumness's labyrinth
1: (laughs) they should have it's kind of funny that you bring up mr tumness because i guess they actually um approached del toro to direct the lion the witch in the wardrobe back when it came out and he obviously didn't and a little bit, uh, a little bit of trivia I was reading was saying that, like, interestingly enough, Del Toro does not regret that decision. And it's like, yeah, no, duh, he doesn't. Like, he doesn't regret <laughs> who, making his who best. Who did direct movie. that? I don't know. No one important. <laughs> it's probably Roland Emmerich. <laughs> it probably was Roland. There's like Emmerich. no, no crap that he doesn't uh, regret that he made the best movie he's made and didn't direct. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But apparently he's like a big fan of the movie. That's the more surprising thing to me than that he doesn't regret it. I uh, took friends to see that for my sixth grade birthday. And even I was disappointed. I liked it. (laughs) So doesn't surprise me.
0: (laughs) So uh, just like totally off, like, uh, like off topic. But uh, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, they ended up getting uh, Andrew Adamson to direct it who uh, also directed Shrek.
3: Oh, perfect. I
0: love oh, Shrek.
2: You know what? Uh, <laughs> speaking of, Shrek is coming back to theaters for its 20th anniversary. Do
3: you think it's going to overtake uh, <laughs> Avatar? <laughs> it, yeah, Avatar? it's it definitely Endgame, maybe Avatar. I might spend know. every dollar I have to go see Shrek again.
1: Yeah, I like all as the money. You're going to use your Biden bucks. My Biden Go bucks. see it like 50 times. Yep. You could probably see it more than 50 <laughs> now. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> so Jake, you had said tickets.
0: You had said that you were avoiding this movie for a long time, but did you end up liking it? Oh, like,
2: no. I thought I said, yeah, I did. I, I liked it when I watched it. Uh, okay. It just like when Zach said, let's watch Pan's Labyrinth. I groaned like audibly to everybody. And then you were, uh, Tyler, I think was like, what? And I was like, isn't that a horror movie? And apparently it's not at all.
0: Yeah. It's just the pale man hated that scene. So, <laughs> Scott, what about you? What did you, uh, what did you think watching this?
3: Yeah, similar to Jake, I have never been interested in in watching this before because of, like, specifically the eyes and the hands. And the, <laughs> I was like, I was like this is for sure going to be just,
2: like, the worst scary movie in the world. And it's what, one of the more disturbing images I've seen.
3: Uh, but for me now, first I would say I would have been terrified of this as a kid yeah. uh, just from the way that it looked. Like, I was terrified of The Mummy as a kid for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. that was scary to me. I could see it. Um, but like watching it now, like it wasn't scary to me at all. So uh, I, I really liked it. it. I this has been one of the more enjoyable films that we've done on this podcast for me.
2: And is it because you watched it at
3: one point two five speed?
0: Yes. <laughs> Did you ever knock it down, or you just kept going? At one I started at
3: one point five. Oh, okay. And I was like, "That's too fast." <laughs> yeah. And then I went back to one point two five. So you
2: started at one point five, and you're like, "This is actually pretty good. Let's still watch it a little bit faster than we're supposed to." <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the more
3: enjoyable movies I've seen. <laughs> I think Scott just doesn't like movies, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so he's like,
2: "Let's watch them faster."
3: That's what like. it. What it honestly was was I was on a time crunch. And I'll like, say, uh, I have to watch this movie,
1: but I only have this much time. <laughs> oh, <okay.
3: laughs>
1: you know, what could have really benefited from a sped up speed um, just from our watching. It was the good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, I should have watched that at like three times.
0: Three yeah. I just
1: uh, I wouldn't what? miss too much dialogue. I could slow it down for the dialogue and still speed up at least two thirds of the movie. I'm just going to stop responding to it <laughs> and just hope it goes away. It's <laughs> <He's> just <laughs> not going to take the bait anymore. I think also if you watch the Snyder cut sped up, then it's all actually like in a real speed. Cause there's so much slow-mo in those movies. Uh, in yeah. that movie. Did Snyder you watch the Snyder four Snyder hours? hours right? I've watched an hour of it so far. And, and? I think I've only watched two scenes <laughs> because there's so much slow-mo. Only two scenes have happened. Mm. It's all just them running so slow. <laughs> Everything I'm seeing on Twitter people are like raving about how much
3: better it is. That's a low bar, but I'm still very reluctant to want to waste my time watching it.
1: Do you like the DC movies at all? Like do you
3: wonder woman? The first one was great. You might like it then. Did you like man of steel? Uh, I felt like it was a weird tonal movie for
1: Superman, but I thought it was fine. My assumption is that you will think it's better than the original Justice League, but you're still not still gonna not like gonna really love it. Love it. Yeah. yeah,
2: is it so much better that
3: it warrants another hour of movie? Mm.
1: Well, I mean, I've only seen the first hour, so I can't really. But I'm gonna guess no. Do you remember the the first one? Like, do you feel like there's a lot of? I different never saw things? the f- the original. Oh, yeah. So this is my like first time in. So after dipping this, you got to go watch a, the original cut. Yeah, I might actually just to see how much worse it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. Seven hours of Justice League. <laughs> Sounds good to me. So uh, what what uh, what were some of the things in uh, Pan's Labyrinth that, like, worked for you guys, didn't work for you guys?
3: Oh, I did want to say, too, because you guys were talking about it and I just forgot to say it, with uh, the whole title change to Pan's Labyrinth, I never thought of the God Pan. I It completely flew over my head. Like, I didn't really? connect it to a fawn or anything, even after watching the movie until we had this conversation today. I never thought of the God pan.
0: That's funny. So I thought for the last, you know, I saw this in 2008. So for the last, whatever, you know, 12 years, uh, I thought that it was pan.
3: You thought the fawn was pan
0: until Mm. we went to go do this. I watched it through this time, realized that he's never addressed by name and then watched a bunch of, uh, you know, interviews with del Toro and found out that like del Toro was like, yeah, no, this is not pan. Uh, that was a, a a poor translation for Americans. And uh, he said that, like, he would never try and make a fairy tale with the god pan because it would be too terrifying. And, like, an eight-year-old hasn't, like, like, there's no good reason for me to show an eight-year-old interacting with the god pan. Like, so <laughs> it was a very, like, uh, like Guillermo del Toro like knows his mythology and was like, definitely not. And then uh, in American audience, you know, American markets, they were like, yeah, pan's labyrinth. That's better. So like <laughs> completely against the, the intent of the, I'll,
2: the writer. I'll also
3: say I never, uh, I still didn't trust the fawn, even though I didn't think it was pan.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I didn't trust him, but I think that that played into it. So yeah,
3: I didn't trust him just because of the way he was acting.
2: Yeah, he was
0: acting very su- it like was very suspicious. He's pretty sus, yeah. pretty sus, shady for sure. Um,
3: I thought for sure he was like making a play for the throne or something.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Like, especially like even right out, right out of the gate when he first meets her and, uh, he says, that's me and that's you. Mm -hmm. And she's like, who's the baby? And he just changes the The subject subject, and it was like, like, Oh, what is happening? I
3: I
2: honestly, uh, I thought he was, uh, either fake or just outright lying to her. Like I thought there was no
1: princess thing.
2: And oh, like that, that was my thought was like, he's lying to her and he's just going to like do something terrible to her when she finishes this.
1: What did you think? Like if there was no princess, what did you make of all of the fantasy aspects of this movie? Then
2: I thought uh, for most of the movie, I thought it was in her head. Um, but so,
1: then at the end, I kind of realized it couldn't have been. That's what I thought, too. And I had even seen this movie before, but it had been like a quite a, a like a long time since I had seen it. And so watching it this time. I'm pretty sure at some point I like read online or I somehow heard that this was her way of like coping with the harsh realities mm-hmm. of like this, you know, like um, civil war, the Spanish civil war times that she's going through. And this is how she's coping. And so I, I went into this movie thinking that that was the case and it kind of tracked for a lot of the movie. And then there's certain parts where it's like well, how did that happen if it's just in her head? And even by the end of it, I was just like, oh, maybe it's kind of... What parts... uh, Because I, even at the end of the movie, was like, oh, yeah, it's very possible
3: that this whole thing was not real.
2: I think the biggest thing was like, how did she get into that room at the end? Like, she just shows up into a locked room to get her brother. Like, that was the only thing where I was like, oh, well, something had to have happened. And
1: And there's even a a point where, like, she leaves the chalk that uh, the fawn gives her and then... Um, captain Videl or is it Videl I don't remember how to say his name the evil captain um, he picks up the chalk he like sees it and then even when she's running away from him in the labyrinth she like as- like it the labyrinth kind of moves and like you know yeah that yeah was like thing. she kind of like disappears into the labyrinth in a very like fantastical way and he can't find her And even then I was like, well, maybe this is still just in her, maybe she's hiding in a bush or something. And she's, so the entire time I was thinking like, I think it still could be kind of in her head. Maybe this is just kind of like her fantasy, but del Toro has come out specifically and said like, no, it all happens. It's all like true to the story. Yeah. I think, cause
2: like, I think, Part of it, like in the movie, you're supposed to like, you're supposed to question it at least a little bit because like, what are the odds that this kid, you know, head in a book all the time, head in a fairy tale, just lands in one. And there are some scenes where like they show just uh, a chalk square on her wall where she made her magic door. I'm like, oh, okay. They're showing us that she was making it up, you know?
1: Yeah and it, it, there's even a scene too where she's talking to the fawn and i think it's captain videl that comes uh-huh, in at the very end and doesn't see he the fawn and so i was like oh this is proving that it is just in her head like
0: well and the, the very like last scene uh she's you know dying her blood opens the portal she goes back but her physical body like she dies there like uh-huh. we go back to uh, Mercedes crying over her dead body and singing over her dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is a little bit like, you know, um, but Del Toro, I mean, essentially what he wrote here is he wrote a fairy tale sort of within a fairy tale. Like the movie itself is a fairy tale. Um, you know, it has all of the same, like, it has the, the same like motifs and characters. Like you could easily say that like, uh, she's little red riding hood and the captain is the big bad wolf and the uh rebel soldiers are the huntsmen that are coming to save her Hmm. uh you know at mercedes behest kind of a thing like it has a lot of those same fairy tale kind of like tropes where these characters for the most part are really like static and really like simple in order to explain a moral um but like this fairy tale that he's written has like multiple layers of fairy tale to it, which is I don't know super interesting. That uh, yeah, oh, go
2: ahead, Jake. I was not saying anything. I started to that. say oh, something again. Go ahead, Tyler. Oh,
0: I was just gonna say, and and like Del Toro talking about this film and talking about like fairy tale in general, um, has said that like, uh, he believes that like monsters exist and and like fairy tales, what they all are is it's a way of like externalizing internal conflict. Hmm. And so that's what's happening with, with uh, o- Ophelia uh, the entire movie is all of these things, all of the like fantasy are like externalizations of her internal conflict. So I like, I, I think it's a, a totally legitimate thing to say, like in a legitimate interpretation to say that like, it didn't really happen but it also really did because it's a fairy tale.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Those are some good points. Um, to kind of go back to your question that you asked earlier, uh, I think that pretty much everything about this movie really works for me. There, I, I don't know if I can think of anything that doesn't really work for me. Um, I think from the get-go, it's, it's really well-made. Uh, it's pretty clear how intentional Del Toro was when he was making this, um, down to uh, the set design we were reading about how in all the fantasy scenes, um, the set design was designed to kind of be a little bit more circular to kind of represent like this fantastical world. And then all the non-fantasy scenes were much more like straight and angular. And Tyler, you were even kind of talking a little bit off air about the use of color and kind of what that represents, how all the fantasy scenes, or most of them are very like uh, using a lot of golds, reds, and then all the non-fantasy scenes are a lot of, Blues, very cold colors. Um, So I think it's cool just how intentional Del Toro was when he was making this. I feel like for the first two acts, I was into it. But my thought was, you know what? Like This is clearly very good. But I'm having like I'm not a hundred percent there yet. Like I, I'm liking this, but I don't know if it's leaving the same impact that it maybe did the first time I watched it, or that it is for most people. And then the ending really sealed the deal for me. Um, I really, really love the third act, and I feel like that's when it like really all comes together. I think the ending is really great. Um, I don't know if I picked up on it the first time, but I loved how. Uh, there's three different tasks that the faun assigns to Ophelia and they all kind of involve a monster in the third act. The monster in the third act is, I'm sorry, the third task is captain Vidal himself. And I love that she has to kind of overcome him. And I thought it was really interesting how in that third task he had just had his cheek slit. So he even looks monstrous, you know, like he, he almost kind of looks a little fantastical and scary, not as scary as the pale man, but like kind of close, you know, I thought that was really interesting and I love, uh, I had completely forgotten that Ophelia dies. Captain Vidal shoots her and that her blood drips down into the portal and opens up the portal. I thought that was such a, a really creative storytelling plot or device, I should say. Um, I really loved that um, and there's nothing more satisfying than Vidal walking out with his baby and asking Mercedes, "Like, please tell my baby his name," and her cutting him off and just saying, "No, he'll never know your name." And then Vidal getting shot through the head. Uh, it was such a, a, a satisfying scene um, that by that point, I was just like, "I'm a hundred percent in. I love this movie." I think I like that was
2: I, that was the best part for me was mm-hmm. that ending. It was very super satisfying because he they did a great job of making him so Awful. hateable. Yeah. Like you, you just hate him from the minute you see him. Um, I mean, if I was going to pick nits at things like I'm like, Oh, these are really trivial tasks for this ancient prophecy for the princess to go through. I was kind of thinking, I was like, that's all she had to do was walk in and not eat some grapes
3: and like grab a knife. <laughs> and she, she couldn't, she couldn't do it. What was behind the other doors? I wonder, I don't know. And why did like and the one the little fairy... fairy point to the middle
0: one? Right. Well, I think that, uh, I think that if that was alluding to the fact that she is the princess, that the fairies are like intentionally kind of trying to misdirect her to see if like she will just obey or if she'll go with her gut. Mm -hmm. Um, cause that's like the Del Toro said that that's like the central theme of the movie is obedience and disobedience. Um, like being disobedient to, uh, you know, um, authority that might be wrong like we see it with the doctor when he kills the the soldier rather than like getting him ready to be tortured again mm-hmm. we see it with mercedes we see it with uh
1: uh ophelia and, he, and also the rebels standing up to yeah. the, the fascist regime
0: yeah uh well also we have uh uh ophelia like needing to obey the fawn, but like disobeys him at times. And, you know, so it's all about obedience and disobedience, which is super, I don't know, just super interesting. Yeah.
2: No, I, I, yeah, I, I had something to say on that and I lost it. Um, but I did have one more thing that I thought didn't work for me. And it's interesting cause you called it out as how much you loved it and how original it was, was the, the blood dripping. As soon as, it, as soon as he said like, Oh, you're going to have to prick your brother and give some blood. I paused the movie and I said, she's not going to do it, and then her blood is going to fall on it, and that's what's going to happen. Like, it was it was just really, I thought it was super cheesy.
1: I didn't, like, I never said it was, like, original. Um, I just thought it was really creative. And I mean, I, for one, didn't see it coming. But I think that a lot of, like, the tropes in this movie aren't necessarily that it's never been done before. It just feels like, what you kind of hear in typical like fantasy or like fairy tales, like you were saying, Tyler, like it it felt very reminiscent of a fairy tale and kind of like solidified itself like as, oh yeah, this is a fairy tale, which I think is why I'm okay with like these really trivial tasks that are like for the most part kind of easy for her to overcome because you're not like when you're telling fairy tales, like it's never like these like crazy complicated tasks that they have to complete. They're like pretty straightforward and E- easy to to um you know understand. Like just kill a dragon.
0: Well, but it is just kill a dragon. Like it's not it's not complicated. It's it's overcome a a, a, a simple. Like it might be difficult, but it's simple. But it's not trivial. Well, I think it is. Well, it, it's just as trivial as as uh, kill the the monstrous toad that is like kill a dragon and kill the monstrous toad that's poisoning the tree like it's it's not trivial necessarily but it is simple interesting by the
2: way one more thing that i thought was definitely magic was the the tree came back to life at the end I thought yeah that was the big one of the big like mm-hmm. confirming yeah the, the that, the that is the very sprout. last
0: scene the, the flower sprout yeah, yeah that that they say uh that um she returned but uh there are, she left s- like small marks of her presence on earth uh that only those who are looking can can see it and then the 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 fig tree blooms again yeah yeah that was really cool i like that a lot
3: yeah i i thought one of the interesting things about this movie and we, probably because i've never really seen it done like this before was like the fairy tale mixed with the like hyper-realistic, like gory nature too of mm-hmm. the
0: movie. Oh yeah.
3: Where like it, um, I almost want to say like jarring in a good way. Like it, yeah. you keep getting ripped back and forth between these two different stories, um, but you're super invested in both of them and you're not really sure how it's going to pan. I just, I just really enjoyed it. I thought the whole thing was really good.
2: And the real world was just brutal.
0: Yeah, I, almost as brutal, if not more brutal, than the fairy tale world.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's like torture scenes. There's like, just like brutal murders. And I'm, i like, I just like sat and like kind of like cringed watching those. It was just like so jarring and so like, ugh.
1: I had completely forgotten how much of this movie, like the the fantasy scenes are make up maybe like 25% of the movie. Like, I had mm-hmm. kind of forgotten how much of this movie really is actually just the, the reality of this post. Spanish civil war, you know? Right. Um, And I think that that kept me a lot more interested this time through. Um, I, I was a little less interested in Ophelia and her, her tasks and her adventures than I was Mercedes. Um, and the doctor trying to, uh, assist the rebels, um, and, and everything going on with that. And it's kind of funny. Like, uh, I think we all kind of talked on or talked off air, um, about that, that murder scene with the bottle, when oh, yeah. Fidel's smashing that guy's face in and how that's kind of the first moment we we're like, holy crap like this is like what is this movie? This is intense yeah. and it's kind of funny back when this came out um a week after it was released in Mexico, they had to uh, put on the posters that this movie contains graphic violence because families were bringing their kids because they just assumed this was like, a fairy tale fantasy movie that kids are gonna enjoy yeah, just, just like, like little princess girl
2: phone. you know yeah it's the fun
1: it's not that at all <laughs> but yeah no i i agree with you scott i can't really think of another movie where like uh it's a, a fantasy movie with these scenes of brutal like harsh violence mm-hmm. and i i think that that's really compelling and and I was going to say, I think another
2: thing that really worked is like, I feel like in movies like this where like we have the protagonist and then like we have this like kind of like second story. A lot of times I just don't care about the second story. I'm like, just get me back to the main person. And I didn't feel that way. And yeah, movie. like I yeah. did it really well.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things that lends itself to that is that uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is maybe conscious or subconscious for me um, but it, it's because the second story, you know, I, I guess both of them are, are really just parallels of each other, uh-huh. you know, like everything that Ophelia is doing has everything to do just in a very abstract way with what's going on around her. Um, and like, even like some of the other like fantasy, you know, things, some of the magical, some of the magic things that, that happen, like the, the Mandrake route like that all like it has to do with her mother and her you know belief in magic to to heal her mother kind of a thing and and how that conflict within her is is like being externalized i i, I think that they all overlap so the the two stories overlap so much with each other that it's like they're they're inextricable you, you can't untie them like i think it would be a worse movie if you got rid of one of the two yeah, it's Cause, like they're definitely
2: like it would definitely be a worse movie, but they're all and they're like definitely like parallel, but I think they are completely parallel. where like they didn't necessarily need to, to intersect touch, and they they don't. But at the same time, you you need them both.
0: Yeah, but, to balance. Yeah. they like sort of like counterbalance each other. Uh-huh.
3: I actually so I thought there was going to be more pale man in this movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: and
1: I think I could have used more Pale Man in this movie. Honestly, there was too much Pale Man in this movie for me. <laughs> Are you you're like Christopher Walken like I just give me more Pale Man. <laughs> Not like that. Like where I,
3: like I'm just like
1: Pale Man was the only good thing. Yeah. Um but it played actually such a small role. Like I yeah. was like why is this the poster? Oh, yeah, well, sure. I think I think too like uh like on most of the posters that I've seen like official posters is just like the labyrinth but like when you look on Netflix Netflix will randomly just take random movie stills and just advertise those to where like I'll be I'll be browsing on Netflix and it's like it'll show No Country for Old Men and it's like Woody Harrelson and it's like <laughs> he's barely even in the movie like why are you showing me this yeah. or like Rami Malik for Short Term 12. I was like what, <laughs> what are you doing Netflix like you are not really advertising your movies well and I think Netflix would just show that picture of the pale man <laughs> so you do think it's like this big part of the movie.
2: Yeah it's interesting that you talk about that because I've been misled by Netflix so many times. Yeah.
1: Where I'm like oh he's in this movie and
2: then I'm like oh he was in that movie for Just a minute.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. But how great is the Pale Man in this movie? I have a fever. (laughs) <laughs> and the only prescription is more eyes in my hands <laughs> more pale man. uh apparently back when like uh, the initial release or like the the premiere for this movie stephen king went to see this too and he was sitting right next to guillermo del toro and del toro says that like during the pale man scene stephen king was like squirming in his seat was like so uncomfortable and del toro uh, like that was a really cool moment for del toro and he said it was like What did he say? It was equivalent to like winning an Oscar or better than winning an Oscar.
3: Honestly, the, the saggy skin and the skinny legs were way more weird for me than the eyes and the hands.
2: Yeah. And I think like (laughs) what's even more disturbing than eyes and the hands is seeing eyes laid out on a plate and then hands that clearly have eye sockets them yeah <laughs> like that's way
1: worse <laughs> and like to a lesser extent like all the children's shoes in the corner like the, even that in itself uh-huh. was like a little like well and
3: then all the paintings of him eating and yeah like children
1: yeah so and, and then him taking a, a bite out of those fairies which apparently to like achieve that effect uh doug jones who was the pale man um he had to like bite condoms filled with fake blood interesting isn't it's a, it's a it's funny the uh, Old choice on Del Toro. How did all those children get there?
0: Well, it's, it's in a the fairy tale, I don't know. In the paintings, it looks like you know he would the, the pale man was going to villages, killing children, and then maybe bringing them back to his lair. And for whatever reason, he's now dormant for whatever magical reason. Um, but uh, we we've talked a lot about like the some of the cinematography. We've talked a lot about uh, the plot, like the writing, the storytelling. Um, but let's take a second to talk about acting, uh, man, Doug Jones, who plays pale man and fawn, like I'm super impressed. Like in this movie with him, he does a lot of work in like these big, heavy makeup costumes, but he kills it in this movie.
2: Wait, was that all practical? Like the, the fawn suit?
0: Yeah. So the fawn suit was entirely practical. Uh, the only thing that wasn't was he had, uh, like because he has fun legs that uh-huh. the knees bend backwards. And so his, uh, from his knees down was like a, uh, green screen, like suit kind of thing around his legs so that they could like pull his legs out. And so uh-huh. he, it was like stilts that went like forward from his knees and then back to had a you know, 90 degree bend back to his uh, feet, but it was a fully practical suit uh and his mouth for both uh the uh for both the fawn and the pale man like that was his mouth acting like it like it it wasn't like a animatronic or puppet mouth or anything like that yeah so w- he was the one delivering his own lines and
1: well, it was really interesting. I was reading that um that doug Jones was the only non spanish speaking actor. On set, and so he had to memorize all of his own lines in Spanish, but he also had to memorize everyone else's lines in Spanish too, so that he knew then like when his line was coming up and how to respond to it and whatnot. And so they recorded all of his lines in Spanish, and then they ended up using a different Spanish actor to re record the Fawn's lines. And so Doug was kind of like, Oh, I did that for nothing, but it actually ended up making that Spanish actor, um, the voice actor uh, able to do his job better because then he was able to like read or, or like match know. the inflection. Yeah, exactly. Match the inflection and whatnot. Yeah.
0: I, uh, I, I thought it was really cool that he like worked on that to like deliver his own lines because like he has this ridiculous suit on for hours. It takes like an hour and a half to put the fawn suit on. And then he's delivering all these lines in a language that he doesn't know. And, And I was watching an interview with uh, one of the makeup artists uh, and he was saying that uh, like Doug would always like beat himself up and like, like asks to reshoot if he didn't say a line perfectly. Like he was just that committed to like nailing it. So -hmm. did he
2: know what his lines meant or did he just memorize them? Because that has got to be. I don't know what would be well, more impressive. Well, both.
0: I think that he, he memorized them as they were. Uh, but, you know, Guillermo del Toro, I'm sure, worked on, like, explaining to him, like, what he was saying scene for scene so that he could get the, you know... Emotion, right? Emotion, right.
2: That was what I was going to say, is, like, if he's just memorizing these, how is he so, like, spot on when he's delivering?
0: But he didn't learn Spanish to do this. It was just more so, like he memorized the phonetics of his line. And then Guillermo del, del Toro would just be like, Hey, you're saying this, you know, like approximate. <laughs> just What a commitment to not learning Spanish. <laughs> well, and it, he was the only, uh, Zach mentioned, he was the only non Spanish speaker. Guillermo del Toro was the only bilingual person in the production of this movie. So Guillermo del Toro is the only person that Doug Jones could talk to. Everyone else only spoke Spanish. Hmm. Uh Wow.
2: I'm, I'm surprised he didn't go nuts like playing the pale man and he only had one person to talk to and everybody else is just probably like he's got so many people to interact with giving him makeup and costuming and he only can find the director of the movie who's got to be so busy. Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, and I guess Guillermo del Toro in this movie kind of made uh, and, and maybe other movies, but kind of made a name for himself for being like a very like heavy handed director like very involved in everything. So like the both, like for the makeup, like both uh, the fawn and uh, pale man, those were like, he, you know, he worked with a studio that, you know, built the thing. And I guess like they had to keep remaking it and remaking it and remaking it because Guillermo del Toro would be like, nope, not good enough, not good enough. And uh, the, the prototype lab that made this, you know, did the design and made the, the prototypes and everything like that were like super annoyed because they're like most directors, they say like we want a scary fawn. We make a scary fawn and they say, man, that was great moving on. But like Guillermo del Toro was just very uh, meticulous about about that. And like you had mentioned, Scott, the, the saggy skin. Mm hmm. So Guillermo del Toro had given them the direction of he wanted a someone who used to be fat that had then lost all of their weight. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that like this, this creature used to be fat off eating children, but hmm. now is, you know.
3: So did Doug have to put on a bunch of weight before and then lose it all?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. He really had to put his real text. skin. Yeah, yeah. Those
2: Before <laughs>
3: the pale man scenes, he had to
2: put it on, but then he had to lose it and then Get back to normal scenes. weight to get back to the fawn, you know? Yeah. yeah. So on a scale of like one to taking a year to fill an elevator with blood and shoot it. Like how, how <laughs> nitpicky was he? Uh,
0: not, not quite, not, not quite Kubrick nitpicky, okay. uh, but in that same vein, like very, like, I think that Guillermo del Toro, at least in some of his movies, I, I don't know, some other movies, it seems like he phoned it in like Pacific Rim.
3: How come, um, Pale Man had to bring his hands to his forehead to like, like, just because your eyes are on your hands, just I mean, to, have to
0: look, just this. to look creepy? Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he didn't always like. There's right afterwards, he just holds his hand out to look around. You know, I'll tell you what, Pale
0: Man looks way creepier to me when his hands are at his face for like
1: uh, that. And creeped he's got me those, out those way more. Long fingers. Oh yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I think, that, yeah, I think the creepiest part for me is when you see his initial hand, like, twitch. And it kind of shows uh, he's, like, coming to life in those long fingernails. What, uh, he's really just doesn't like to share food. Yeah. 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 He, he, yeah. Like, he likes to sit in front
2: of food and then not move for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> and then when somebody takes two of his
0: centuries-old grapes, he freaks out.
3: They must have used, uh, some gmos on that
0: oh yeah lots of lots of gmo all organic (laughs) (laughs) yeah those grapes survived better than mcdonald's french fries uh what about uh some of the other actors because obviously a lot of these pretty much all these actors are new for us Mm -hmm.
3: because i honestly loved all the acting i thought they did a great job there wasn't anybody who pulled me out of the story with their acting like i was fully in it the whole time
1: yeah, no, I'm the same way. Um, I think the the character that I was drawn to the most and this time around was Mercedes, and mm-hmm. I thought that, I thought she did great. I I don't remember um the actress's name, but whoever played Mercedes, I thought she did a really really great job. And I thought
3: Ophelia did great. Yeah, like, yeah, she was really especially good like to. as a child actor. Like I was I was buying everything she was thrown out. And mm-hmm.
2: like the thing that kills movies, like even like really good movies for me a lot of times is child actors because. You know they're children, but mm-hmm. she she did great. I thought,
1: mm-hmm. man, I can't wait to nominate Room. <laughs> oh yeah, because well I, please don't. Is oh, it like this, this is our, this like is I already expressed. bummer summer. This is your bummer summer pick. <laughs> no, no, it's more so just because Jacob Tremblay in that movie <laughs> is one of the best child performances I've ever seen. I He's prefer so Ethan good. Tremblay.
0: Everything that, <laughs> ev- like, I'll I'll follow this rabbit trail for a second, but for real, ev- like Jacob Tremblay is a national treasure. Like everything yeah. that he does is. So intense. So he was in, uh, Dr. Sleep. Uh, you don't know who Jacob Tremblay is. No, no,
2: okay. Scott gotten, I had to mouth to each other off mic to not be ashamed. And then Tyler just put us on.
1: His- <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see good boys. I don't know. What, that is. Is. what is that? Is that, a movie? that? Uh, a, d- a dumb comedy he was in, but yeah, he was in Dr. Sleep. He was obviously in room. I think he, he got nominated for an ask. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. An Oscar for an, for, an for an NASCAR. NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was also in, um, wonder, wonder, that movie wonder.
2: Right, oh, is that there. about the movie with is that movie about that kid where he has like a skin condition? Yeah. Or something, yeah. Or whatever yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. Physical deformity. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's a phenomenal actor, but I was going to say in, uh, in Dr. Sleep, uh, he gets like tortured and murdered by a bunch of adult people you know, adult characters, by and, the actress. well, but I, but the actors like uh, it happened in real life, yeah, they had to, they had to shoot it multiple times because his performance was so jarring to them that the actors were like, they're supposed to be like sadistic and insidious, but like their facial reactions, they were scared. Like they were like, Oh no, like we're hurting this kid. Like, because he was such a, a good actor that, that it messed up the adult actors performances better than uh the
3: kid from
0: the first one what's uh oh yeah oh from the shining from, from the, the shining. shining yeah yeah much better than that kid and although i i think that kid did pretty good though
1: i thought you were gonna say better than the kid from child's play because nah, that's one of the <laughs> he was terrible he's probably the best child
3: <laughs> acting i've ever seen oh gosh i feel like we <laughs> underrated that movie
1: yeah maybe we should rewatch it <laughs> For, I was let's uh, do that in there October. will be blood
3: uh side by side and see so like one. we all watch <laughs> <Child's> <laughs> which, what
1: do you mean which one see, <laughs> which <laughs> one we like better
3: <laughs> okay
2: I, I thought you were gonna say like we watch child's Play and you watch there will be blood and then we see who changes their rating
1: yeah yeah
0: so the the other actor that i i really liked ophelia as well that that actress uh ivana baccaro um she, I watched like an interview with her at the time. Like it was like a on set interview and the way that she talked about the movie, like she fully understood it. Like she knew what she was doing. Uh, it wasn't like a, okay, kid, go out and do this. And then
1: they do it. Yeah. You know. Like not like the shining. Not like The Shining. Not like The Shining
2: where he didn't realize he was in a horror
1: movie for 17 years. Or not like apparently like uh, how we're just finding out that there's an NC-17 rating of Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. (laughs) Doubtfire, yeah. (laughs) That the children in that movie didn't know anything about.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. The other uh, character that I really latched onto, I want to know what you guys thought about, was the doctor. Doctor, I really
3: liked the doctor's character.
2: Yeah. I think he might have been my favorite. Uh, Yeah. Although I did really like Mercedes
0: a lot as well. I think this time watching through I agree with you Jake. I think he was my favorite.
2: Yeah because like he just really like openly defied at a point where like
0: He was definitely going to get killed for that. Oh yeah, and he just went for it anyways. Well, I really respected it. And you saw like earlier, like he was the one that, like he was always very like uh, freaked out by the whole sabotage. Uh Like you know, when he and Mercedes are walking through the woods, like he's like, you know, what are Are we doing? Are you sure we should be doing this? There's no point. It's a lost cause. We should just leave. Like he was uh, always very like hesitant about the whole thing. And then in the end, like when rubber met the road, he was very courageous.
2: And then can I just say like, and I I know that uh, the captain, what's his name again? Vidal. Vidal. I know that he, he's not like, he wasn't like going off much evidence for his things, but like he made such a stretch. He's like, oh wait, these bottles are the same. (laughs) This this medicine is in the same bottle that the doctor has. Right. He must've made these bottles. And, but then I was like, oh, he just found these guys out in his woods and he assumed they were spies. So. That's actually pretty reasonable for him.
1: Yeah. That he just like, he's pretty quick to just kill and then ask questions, ask questions after. Let after, me yeah. just
2: kill the only doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. As my, as my pregnant wife, wife is yeah. going into labor.
0: Yeah. Who, like my pregnant wife, who's been ill this whole having time. complications. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who Which I it, made it, travel in I time mean, yeah, part. like
1: that's the dumb part on his point, but like it's not like it's a, a flaw in the movie. Like his wife dies because of it. Right. Oh, no, I wasn't saying
2: it was a flaw yeah. in the movie. I was just talking about I just a flaw so.
3: in the character.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel like we got to talk a little bit to that guy's acting too because he freaking kills it as Vidal.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he was terrifying.
1: In kind of a string of movies that we're doing with really great villains, we're talking about Javier Bardem and then kind of spoil next week again one of his other really great villains Videl is like one of the more hateable villains that I can think of in a movie too
2: and like just so instantly and like there, there's no like redeemability in him like there's never a point where you're like oh
3: maybe
0: you, you just hate him and he does a great job for
3: it
2: yeah
0: so uh when I was watching a interview with uh the makeup artists Um, one of the things that they talked about that I thought was really fascinating when he goes to like, sew his face back up. So they had put a prosthetic on his face for the slit, but he actually like, like sewed the prosthetic up like millimeters away from his face. Like it would have been very easy for him. And he, uh, I guess maybe got like slightly injured, but like would have been very, it would have been very easy for him to accidentally. sew the thing onto his cheek. Yeah. (laughs) That like, was
1: one part of the movie where, and I like, obviously the movie would have ended much differently and probably would have been a lot worse if this happened. But when Mercedes slits his cheek and stabs him, I'm just like, just kill him. Yeah. Well, I, I, I are surprised you, she didn't. Why are you leaving him alive? Just kill him, please.
2: I've turned into a talking at the TV person. I guess it's because of uh, quarantine and I, ha- I don't have to be in movie theaters <laughs> anymore. Crazy. But yeah. So then, then yeah, pretty much. But when she didn't kill, him, it was like I
1: speaking to my TV again. I'm like, why didn't you kill him? You were right there. Yeah. I think uh, maybe the only thing that quote unquote doesn't really work for me in this movie, it, I think some of the CGI looks a little dated. Um, but other than that, everything else was really good. And like, obviously they use practical effects in a lot of it. So it's really not even that big of a deal for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I th- and I think that I, I was like paying a lot of attention to that. And I think that that like saved the movie, like gave it a little bit more of a timeless like quality because of how much they relied on practical effects Mm -hmm. versus CG. Yeah. Um, Like Del Toro was, I guess like very, uh, very big on like do everything in CG that we possibly can. Um, Doug Jones was actually supposed to be the frog as well. just be all the all the all the all the monsters monsters. he was supposed to be the frog but when they built the costume and sent it over it ended up being too big and too heavy and so they had to like they had a little bit of puppet work but then like had to they had to guillermo del toro had to completely reshoot the frog like reconceptualize that scene um because the the like puppet suit thing didn't work out.
2: They should have just put multiple people in there. Like somebody working the arms. <laughs> <and all
0: that. laughs> like like an old horse costume. Well, it was supposed <laughs> to be that like a big cavern and the frog would, they were like actually had a fight sequence. But then when like the...
1: Like Ophelia and the frog would uh-huh. fight.
0: Yeah, we're going to fight. And then because of, yeah, I'm I'm glad (laughs) this is uh, like another one of those
2: like (laughs) Jaws cases where those limitations just it made it better.
0: It did, yeah, it totally did. And so Guillermo del Toro was like, okay, let's just put them in the tunnel, and then we'll like rewrite the story to like have some other, you know, resolve.
3: Yeah, and honestly, the frog CGI was not that bad. What was way worse than the frog CGI was the bugs yeah the bug like you could tell every oh, single bug was fake
2: yeah. yeah yeah she was so calm about having all those bugs on her face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that i would have been once a bug crawled on me i would have been out i've been like i don't care about magical kingdoms like and <laughs> yeah, <no>, i'm out <laughs> it doesn't matter to me
2: once i had to ruin my mom's dress that she like made for me I would have been
3: like, no. <laughs> No, I don't want to hurt my mom. <laughs> I might be a princess, but I'll probably never find
0: out. <laughs> I do want to say one thing that really didn't work for me in this movie. Like the one fly in the ointment was the mother. And I think part of it is like her character, but part of it was like the actress. Like I just didn't believe her at all. She just, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just really didn't like her the whole time. She really took me out of it. I didn't,
2: I didn't really have a problem with the mom. Yeah, I didn't either. No, I mean, I wasn't like, oh, she's so great. But I also was never like, why is she here?
0: Got it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally subjective on my part. Even uh, we've kind of talked a lot about the acting from a lot of the like main characters. I thought even a lot of the um, like rebel soldiers were really great, too, and felt like kind of fleshed out characters like the guy who has to have his leg chopped off. Like they kind of just added like some nuance to like even the really small characters like him to where it's like y- you can kind of like picture the role that he has in um, in their army and the kind of character that he probably is. And then like I really liked how they gave the guy who ends up getting captured by Videl like that stutter like yeah. they could have had just like some random nonspecific rebel get captured but they they gave this guy a stutter and kind of like added a little bit of character even to him too.
2: And like, even to your point about them feeling a little bit more fleshed out, it's like, we hear about the leg guy at the beginning of the movie. Right. And then we come back to it and you kind of already feel like you know who he
1: is. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and the thing with how they did the guy with the stutter, like it was um, one, it built up the underdog scenario in our minds. Mm-hmm. And then also it showed even more of his just villainous, like not only was he messing with him physically, he was messing with him like emotionally and mentally.
1: Yeah, because he tells them, like, if you cannot stutter, like, if you can count to three without stuttering, then I'll let you go free.
0: That whole scene was, like, so, like, my my heart was in my throat. Like, I had forgotten that scene entirely. It's one of those things that, you know, when you see it when you're 18, not something you latched onto. Mm-hmm. But, man, both of them, like, the the writing in that, but also just the delivery of both those actors was so uh tense and like i'm rooting for this guy like come on man you can do it yeah uh it was so good
2: i thought he was gonna do it and then he still wasn't gonna let him go and i was gonna Uh, him
0: more for it well i was nervous i think one of the things that i was holding in suspense is that he was gonna stutter say three and that he was actually using him as the countdown for his uh torture as soon as he said three he would like hit him or something like that like oh but that's just how, like, sinister Vidal was.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Jake, s- spin, yeah.
3: spin that track. Oh, I
2: thought you were going to tell me to count to three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you can With count th- to
3: three without being a ginger. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: I'll try. <laughs> we can just stop bringing up
0: the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> if yes. you can change your hair color <laughs> <laughs> spontaneously. There's hair dye. Yeah, I will stop talking about good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, Jake, uh, let's start with you, man. What would you give this movie? I'm going to
1: give it an 8.5. Scott? I'm going to give it an
0: 8.7. Zach?
1: I'm also going to give it an
0: 8.7. And I'm going to give this movie an 8.9. Uh, so just as a reminder, the other guys gave this a 95%. Uh, IMDb gave it an 82 and on Rotten Potatoes, uh, the movie that Guillermo del Toro has been using to catfish us all for years, uh, <laughs> this movie, well, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, you
3: guys, because this is the only one of his movies I've ever seen. I think oh, okay. I think me too.
1: Okay. Uh, this movie you, is- a, You haven't seen Hellboy? I thought- No. Oh,
3: I have seen Hellboy. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs>
1: yeah. But Do you, I didn't, Were you guys- I wasn't
3: using this as the base for watching that movie. Hellboy
1: looks dumb. Were him. any of you guys excited when it originally announced that Gil, Guillermo del Toro was going to make The Hobbit?
2: No. wait. They, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that they said that.
1: Yeah, he originally was who was going to direct The Hobbit and then he like dropped out for some reason. Was he going to make it one movie? Then I would have been I excited. I think he was going to make it two. And I actually, I feel like it probably would have been better because I think he dropped out because he didn't like what the studio was trying to do. And then they brought Peter Jackson back and Jackson was kind of like, well, let's do whatever the studio wants. And they made it three. Oof.
0: Well, this movie, Pan's Labyrinth (laughs) on Rotten Potatoes, is an 87%. Nice. I feel like, you know, well-warranted. Yeah, Yeah. I thought it was really good. Well-warranted 87%. Not one of the best movies I've ever seen, but technically very well done.
1: Captivating story. Would you put it in your list of 1001 movies you should see before you die?
0: Probably, yeah.
1: It Uh, might be there just by
2: virtue of I don't know how many movies I've seen and if it's over 1,001, you know.
0: I've definitely seen over 1,001 movies. Have Uh, you seen
1: over 1,001 movies that are better than this movie? No, definitely not. So uh, I put Child's Play in mine. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Scott's list is actually uh, all the, you know, Child's Play, Child's Play 2, whatever they call it, Bride of Chucky, then just on repeat.
1: Yeah. And then all of Roland Emmerich's movies as well. Yep. Yeah. yeah, those are so the so like thirty movies total. As long as it just no
3: movies with Daniel Day Lewis. Gotcha.
0: So That's just hard. as a <laughs> as a reminder, uh, we also rated an eighty-seven percent, The Green Mile and The Prestige, which I feel like is like right on the money. Yeah. We also rated at one point lower than The Shining, which we talked about quite a bit in this. Which I think I would agree. Yeah, I, I think all of those are right, right around the same, right around the same point. We've done some good movies, boys. We have. We we still haven't done a uh, hundred. This uh, this is forty nine. So next week we're only at forty yep. nine. Yeah, next week we have our fiftieth movie. Yeah. Our our uh, I don't know what you call that. A uh, half centennial. I, we, I
2: do we have know. something
3: special planned? We do. It's our very first James Bond movie.
2: All right. We're starting with like a classic, right? Like a,
3: like a Brosnan. (laughs) We are. We're doing Sean Connery. We're doing one of the best.
0: Brosnan would not be classified as a, that would not be a classic. Sean Connery was a classic. I just, I showed
2: myself as uh, having
0: never seen Bond
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what though? I would have said the same thing. Jake and I, this is our first James Bond movie we've ever seen. And so we don't know anything about Bond or the franchise. So I would have thought the same thing that Pierce Brosnan is like one of the main ones he is for our generation for our yeah but for people that are like bond people he's like so one of the worst who's the quintessential is it sean connery sean connery, sean connery. so who biggest. after him then
0: uh, probably roger moore okay it, it probably i mean there's a, in the bond community that it's like a big fight about who's the best bond but like sure. it, in like terms of like you see like clips of bond movies and you know bonds it probably goes uh sean connery roger moore uh Daniel Craig, uh Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and then the other one that only did ones. like, you know, one bond. Like kind George of thing. Clooney. <laughs> like George Clooney.
1: Yeah. And Brad Pitt. <laughs> and Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt too. Yeah. yeah. Matt bond Damon. Team. Yeah. <laughs> Are we just <laughs> listing ocean characters? Yeah. Don Mark Cheadle. Wahlberg. <laughs> Bernie Mac. I don't Bernie think Mac. Mark Wahlberg. He was in not
0: oceans. in
2: oceans. Dude, I'm just naming people. Jake just, Jake just <laughs> Jake missed, the, the totally missed the, totally missed the joke. Form. I got to pee really bad, guys, and it's all I can think about. Uh,
0: all right, well, Scott, since you, uh, since you're uh, nominating our our next movie and our and our fiftieth movie coming yeah. up, do you have any uh, final thoughts for us before we get out of here?
3: It's gonna be Skyfall, by the way.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> that's important to say.
3: Skyfall's the the Bond movie. Just watch reading. all
0: <laughs> one of the classics. Watch not, all of the Daniel Craig one of the ones, classics and then out. we'll
3: figure it out. But I would like to say. That-